Love that song. Very interesting singing that song, standing right behind Clay. I'm thinking how great that name is. Uh, Randy and Angela did a good job. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 4 tonight, studying again uh, from the book of Galatians. Uh, This has not been an easy uh, study as we go through this book. It has some very challenging things in it that uh, take some time to just digest. And I hope that you're, you're studying this as you go home to make sure that you got it, and if you have any questions, that you'll bring your questions to me. Um, one of the main challenges that I think Christians have uh, is feeling assured, feeling as though we are God's children, as though God still loves us, even though we've fallen short, even though we're not yet like Christ. Um, and as we've studied through this book, I hope that Uh, you found encouragement in the studies that we've had. As we've studied and learned about the difference between the law and the promise, I hope that that really hits home with us that God gave us Christ to help us to feel 100% assured of our salvation, Uh, that we can know without a doubt that our God loves us and that he cares for us and he has provided for us what we truly need to have a relationship with him. Our study tonight is going to be even more reassuring and more encouraging. It's funny how we open up the book of Galatians and we see a book that is full of chastisement and criticism to a Galatian church, and yet what he teaches them is some of the most encouraging things for us to learn and to grasp. Even though they're hard and weighty in some cases because maybe we've not been doing what we should, still the overall message that the gospel is a gospel of freedom is an encouraging and powerful message for us, even today and tomorrow and for the rest of our lives. If you go back to chapter 3 and look at again at verse 29, uh, it kind of wraps up the, the idea of uh, what, we've been, what we were studying last time uh, and making the point that uh, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to... promise. He's been comparing the law and the promise and making the point that the promise that was made to Abraham is apart from the law. It's not the same as the law. The law did not come to give you the promised blessing. Remember Abraham was given three promises that uh, you would have a son that would become a great nation as numerable as the stars and as the sand that you would obtain this land it would be your inheritance forever and that through your seed All the nations of the earth would be blessed. And that seed promise is really what Paul focused in on in chapter 4 to say Jesus is the seed, the offspring of Abraham through whom the promised blessing has come. And it wasn't about uh, people being circumcised and it wasn't about people keeping the law, which was uh, what he gave after the promise. That was to train them, to prepare them for the promised blessing to come. It was about Jesus. Jesus is the promise. Jesus provides the blessing. And what he says in verse 29 is really transitional. Whenever he says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. When you put on Christ in baptism through faith in the powerful working of God in baptism, you enter into the body of Christ. 
And when you enter into the body of Christ, you belong to Christ. And you are a, a part of the seed of Abraham. And you are joined to Jesus. You're joined to the blessings that were promised. And he says, you are heirs according to the promise. The word heir is fascinating that he brings this up. That you are heirs according to the promise. What does it mean to be an heir? Whenever we think of heir, what do we think of? Think of a prince, right? I think of a, a, a young uh, future king who is the heir, the one who will uh, uh, rule over all the kingdom. And so he says, you are heirs according to promise. You are one who will inherit the, the, the promises, the blessings that have been given to you. And usually it's associated with kingship. So why does he use that term to say that we are heirs? Well, if you haven't studied with us a lot or maybe missed some of those sermons, um, it's very clear in Scripture that we're told we reign with Christ. You go to Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, you remember the Beatitudes. It says, blessed, notice that key idea, the promise of Abraham is that a blessing would be given through the seed of Abraham. Jesus comes on the scene, very first sermon Blessed are the poor in spirit. And then he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, it belongs to them. They are heirs of it. They, they inherit it. They receive it. And then he goes on to say, blessed are the meek, for uh, they shall inherit the earth. Same kind of idea, same kind of premise. And we look at that and we're just like, well, what does that mean? How is it that we're going to be heirs? How is it that we're going to reign? How is it that we're going to have all of these uh, blessings to that extent? And the answer, of course, is through Christ. When we're joined to Christ, we are made joint heirs with Christ. He doesn't take the rule and the reign and, and the oversight on himself and look down on us as his uh, peons that, that he just, uh, we're peasants to him. I mean, sure, we, we certainly seem like it, we feel like it, but we aren't. He considers us to be his brothers, and he shares with us what he has been given. The Old Testament was full of the indications of this. In Zechariah, it talks about how we will, it says, so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David. The picture is in Zechariah that uh, all those who are putting their faith in God, God is going to save and not just save, but raise them up to be like David. He will make a, a covenant with them like the covenant he made with David. We read about that in Isaiah 55. In Isaiah 53, the most, one of the most common texts, right? We would, we would refer to that in the Old Testament. We know that text about how our Savior suffered. Well, at the end of all the suffering discussion, it says, Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall come the righteous one, my servant, making many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So in that, even as the idea that he shares a portion of what he's given with all those who uh, put their faith in God. Those who are strong in faith will receive all of those blessings. So the idea that we reign with Christ, that we're heirs joint with Christ, and we receive all the blessings that, that are promised 
is trying to show us we are partial owners in the kingdom. And we are, we are citizens of the kingdom. And we have privileges of a kingdom citizen who is related to the king. If you're related to the king, you have certain privileges. Now, I know that this could easily result in us walking around, strutting our stuff, right? Because, hey, we're, 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 the, we're the king's brother, right? I mean, we, we reign. We rule over you. And kind of the idea of uh, we have dominion over all our coworkers is something that obviously is very contradictory to Christianity. That's not really the picture of reigning, uh, that we now can force people to do whatever we want them to do. No, it's, it's a different picture than that. So how is it that we reign? Well, the picture in the New Testament is that we reign in life because of our spiritual understanding, because of our spiritual wisdom that has been given to us through the Son of God and through the apostles. We reign in life. We reign in understanding. We reign in contentment. We reign in satisfaction. We reign in joy. We reign in peace. We reign in so many aspects of life over what what everybody else around us is subject to, is suffering through. We reign over those things. We have what they don't have because of what we have in Christ as, as heirs of the grace of God, the grace of life. We love and we, we, we appreciate all of those wonderful things. And it's important that we do that. God doesn't give us this tremendous blessing to just forget about, to just overlook or to not think about, or to, to, to be upset about some of the suffering and the things that we're going through and, and not take advantage of the reigning that we have, the joy. We rejoice always in everything because of the relationship. Ultimately, it's all about the relationship. As you move into chapter 4, you see more information about this idea that you're an heir it says, I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. He brings up the idea that you're an heir in order to make the point about the law. Remember, he's been comparing the law and the promise and trying to help everyone understand that we're not under the law, we're under grace and under the promise, we're under the law of Christ, not under the law of the Old Testament. And now he makes it clear that uh, what has happened, remember in the last chapter he said you're under a guardian, you're under a tutor, uh, kind of like a babysitter who's been watching over you. That's what the law was. And he says you're no longer under that anymore. You're no longer under or subject to the law in order to have a relationship with God uh, and now he takes that idea a little bit further to say, you're an heir. And like any heir who is a child, they are not given complete control over their property. No, they're, they're just like the slaves. They're right along with the slaves and going to school and learning the things that they need to learn in order to reign responsibly, in order to use the blessings that are going to be given to them at a later time. They go through this period of, of tutorship, of, of bringing up and development. And that's what he says the law is. It was something intended to help us. 
to guard over us and to help us manage life and figure things out a little bit more and progress and develop and to grow. He calls it the elementary principles of the world. Now, some of your translations may say elementary forces. Um, it could be translated either way. I think elementary principles makes a lot more sense in this concept because in this context because he's referring to the law as something that is elementary, like the ABCs. It's the simple uh, understanding of righteousness, very basic, very kind of dumbed down version of righteousness that was given to mankind, that was uh, a guardian or a manager to help us to grow and to learn and to understand and work out the fact that we can't do the law, right? Ultimately, that's the goal of the law, to help us understand we're sinners who can't keep the law. And so it was an elementary thing that was given to us until the date that was set by our Father. That word until is fascinating. We saw that at the end of chapter, throughout chapter 3, until, until, until. The law was never intended to be a forever thing. The Old Testament law was not the blessing. The blessing uh, helped us understand why the Old Testament law was given. It was given to help us progress, but it doesn't bring us into the relationship of the heir when he's full grown. In verse 9, if you skip down, it says, uh, Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. Verse 8, but now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? whose slaves you want to be once more. The way he talks about the law is that it was the ABCs. It was the elementary ideas that God was trying to present to you to help you mature, to help you grow. And you don't need to be subject to that anymore. Can you imagine an heir growing up to that level of maturity and being given the, the reins of the kingdom and then saying, okay, but I'm going to go back and I'm going I'm to listen to whatever my tutor and whatever my guardian says and I'm going to try to train under them again. Like, that doesn't make any sense. You don't go back. We don't go back to elementary school. I mean, maybe some of us need to. Uh, I was helping with Naomi's homeschool and... Uh, Kind of got the feeling maybe I do need some of that again. But, uh, and we do. We kind of refer to the law sometimes. We learn from the law. But what he's trying to get the point across is that is not the way that you're redeemed. That is not the way that you have a relationship. Maybe you need some of that occasionally, but you're supposed to grow out of that. You're supposed to grow beyond that. There's a time for it, and then there's a time when we grow up. What... Paul refers to as the fullness of time. The fullness of time is a reference to the fact not that everything was perfectly timed for the Roman to, to have roads and, and for everything, for the gospel to spread. No, it's, it's more so, I think, about the maturity, the spiritual maturity level of the Jewish people. The time had not come until Christ for the people to be ready to accept the truth of the gospel. And God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that. And now he has provided for them the truth through his son. Verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, 
so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Wow. The picture of what God has done for us is is vibrant in this text. He He has sent his son, born of woman, born under the law. He, he, he constricted his son to the same situations that we were in. He brought his son down to the elemental area, and he, he led us out of that elementary position and into the, the full adulthood, the full maturity, where we are now made sons who have the relationship of an heir who is no longer under tutorage, an heir who is now with his father, reigning with him. With, with his older brother, reigning with him. And that's the picture that he's trying to give it, get across. We have been redeemed from being under the law. We've been bought out of the slavery. We've been brought into adoption, into sonship. And then he says this wonderful thing. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. There's a big change that's supposed to take place inside of someone who has been through the elemental stages of of the law and now progressed to redeemed and adopted son. That they are now made heirs. And having an heir indicates responsibility, doesn't it? It indicates an expectation that is going to happen. That there's supposed to be a change that takes place inside of us. That now we know God. Look at verse 8 again. Formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. You, were, you became an idol worshiper, right? Under the, elemental, under the elemental things, you failed miserably. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. Listen to those words. You, are, you know God now. You're past the elemental. You've been redeemed. You've been adopted. You know God. And it says, or rather, to be known by God. You're out of this elemental stage of growing, and you're now to the developed stage where there's a relationship with God that's greater than the relationship whenever you are in this slavery, you know, elemental stage. And that transition from a slavery stage to the son stage results in uh, 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 God sending his spirit uh, into our hearts whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. The word Abba means father in Aramaic. Okay? It's the same word, just said in a different way, and, and some, some think it's more like a dad or daddy than, than father. And it's, it's an indication of relationship. Now think for a second about this. How many people do you call father? You know, usually one. Maybe in some cases more than one. Maybe there's some, some of that. But you can't call my father dad. My children can call me their dad. You can't call me your dad. I mean, it would be kind of weird, right? There's a relationship there, right? There's a relationship that you have with your father that nobody else has. 
And maybe that's a good thing for some of us. But, you know, there's a relationship there. And that relationship is not known by everyone else. But I know my father and my father knows me. We know each other very well. And here he's making this point that you now have that relationship with God. Think about it. Throughout the Old Testament, they don't, you don't get the picture that Israel ever considers God to be their father. That's not really uh, the way that they pray or the way that they talk to God. Our father who art in heaven, they hallowed be your name. That was Jesus. Jesus came onto the scene and he referred to God as his father over and over again. And whenever he taught people to pray, he taught them to refer to God as their father because the blessing he was coming to bring is relationship. Relationship with the God of the universe, the creator of everything. Do you know God? Does he know you? That's what's supposed to happen. Whenever I raise somebody up out of the waters of baptism, I say, you are now a child of God. And you have every right and every privilege and every blessing that is associated with the sons of God. It's yours. You are a part of my family. You're a part of the church family. We are, we are united together. And we have a wonderful relationship with a loving father. What he's getting at here is to say to these Galatian Christians, you're not slaves anymore. You're sons. I don't know how many times I have to hear that, but a whole lot is a, is, is a good answer. You're not a slave anymore. You're a son. That's the thing that fascinated me most about the book of Romans. If you go through and you study in the book of Romans, you, you read in chapter 6 how we're supposed to consider ourselves instruments of God. Like we're supposed to consider ourselves slaves of God. Like that's the way that it's projected in chapter 6, chapter 7. And then you get to chapter 8 and he says, but you're not really sons. We consider ourselves to be slaves. Or you're not really slaves. We consider ourselves to be slaves, but we're not really slaves. We're really sons. We really have an intimate relationship with the Father. The Father knows us intimately. In, in Romans chapter 8, you also read that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, that it, it knows what's going on in our soul, in our heart, in our mind, and it, it speaks to God on our behalf. There's a relationship that is deeper than any relationship that we have on this earth, and that God is with us, and Jesus is with us, and the Holy Spirit is with us, and they love us, and they know us, and they care for us, and they're not constantly looking at us and rolling their eyes, but they're wishing what's best for us like we would for a son or a brother. That's the relationship. So how does that relationship affect you? What do you do with that relationship? Is it a part of your life? Is God a part of your life? I think that's where he's going with this. He's trying to help them understand if you think that you're a slave, you'll think differently about your father. You'll think differently about your brother. You'll think differently about the gift, the blessing that you've received. And I don't want you to think differently about it. I want you to think about it like it's the greatest spiritual blessing that could ever be given because that's what it is. And that's what we learn from this text. We are sons. I know that some of you are ladies 
here, and you might say daughters, but understand, you have the same privileges as the sons. Okay, you are an heir with Christ, with all the men here. He got to that back in chapter 3, verse 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male and female, for you are all one in Christ. So you are sons, ladies, and that's your relationship with God, that you have the same relationship with God as a son would as an heir of the promises, the blessing that God has given. And the law is not what brought that relationship about. That's ultimately what Paul is trying to get across to us. We don't become heirs of all these wonderful spiritual blessings because we kept the law. We become heirs because Jesus has suffered for us and made us heirs with him. That's the wonderful news. Throughout Ephesians, in Ephesians 1, you read, every, we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God has granted all of those spiritual blessings to us. The question is, are we realizing them? Are we accepting them? Whenever we think about what we need to do, I think that it's very important that we understand we're not to submit to slavery anymore. We're not to think about the Old Testament law as something we have to do in order to have a relationship with God. We're not to think about the New Testament law as something we have to do in order to have a relationship with God. We need to think about it like this. Christ has made us more than slaves. And he expects us to act accordingly. Christ has made us more than slaves and he expects us to act accordingly. He expects us to be the mature men and women that we are because we understand our sin and we understand who God is and what he's done for us. That instantly makes us mature to the point of being heirs and ready for all the spiritual blessings. So how should we act? Well, obviously obedient. Obviously trying to do the things that the king would do. Trying to live the way an heir would live because of the blessings that have been steeped upon us. And we need to move on from slavery and the grudging relationship of, well, i got to do all these things because God wants me to do all these things. And we need to come to the point where we realize it's a joy to do all these things. Because of the wonderful blessings that we've been, been given, we want to do all these things. And if you think that there's something that you must now do in order to earn all of these things, in order to obtain all these things, Paul wants you to understand like the Galatians, no, Christ has done it for you. Those blessings are yours. Nothing has been kept back from you. Nothing is being dangled in front of you saying, if you just go a little further, then it'll be yours. It's all yours right now. It's all mine right now. And I'm saying all this Fervently because I'm trying to get it in my mind. That's the truth. It's ours. I am a son of God. I am loved by him. I can cry out, you're my father. You love me more than my earthly father loves me. You care for me and provide for me beyond my imagination. And I don't deserve it. But I believe it. And I accept it. And I'm going to use it to glorify your name. It's a wonderful picture. So how could we turn back now to the weak and worthless 
elementary principles. Notice verse 10, it says, You observe days and months and seasons and years. Verse 11, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. This mentality of, I got to do all these things in order for God to love me, he says, is just going back into that slavery system, which is no good. God's grace has been given in the sacrifice of Jesus. He gave his son so that we could all be sons of God. And if you're here tonight and you've not accepted the wonderful grace that he offers you, why not? Every spiritual blessing is available to you because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. He just asks that you step forward in faith, that you submit your will to his will, repenting of your sins and being washed in the waters of baptism. If you have a need, will you please let us know. Please come forward as we stand and as we sing.